Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. Good. Good to see you all. Well, let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you for everybody here today. Um, God, I pray that we won't take each other for granted. Um, Every week, uh, not having just one of us here takes away the flavor of this church. Um, So God, uh, we thank you for every person here. We thank you for... um, I would just thank you for how important everyone is to everybody, God. And I thank you um, that everybody here uh, builds everybody else up, encourages each other, and loves each other, God. And uh, we all have a reason to encourage each other and love each other because because of you, God. So I pray uh, that we won't lose sight of how important we are to each other, that we're brothers and sisters in you, that we're a family in you. God, and we have so much to be grateful for as far as materials, uh, as far as life, um, but the gift of, of people, the gift of a church. God, I pray that we won't take that for granted, uh, that we will look at each other not just as another person, um, but as a fellow believer, as a family member, And I pray, God, that we will grow in love together. God, I pray that you would speak through me, use me. um, And I pray that everyone who speaks would speak as if speaking the very words of Christ. God, I pray, God, that the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouths would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Dear God, And God, I pray that we would meditate on you and think about you today and rejoice and be grateful for all that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I don't know if y'all can remember this far back, but in 2007, or 2010, no, man, 2010, I was close, uh, there was a big game. Now, y'all know I love sports. Almost all my sermon illustrations are sports, so I'm sorry if you don't like sports, but here's another sports illustration for you. So in 2010, I remember this vividly. Uh, the Buffalo Bills were playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Pittsburgh Steelers were heavy favorites to win the game, but Buffalo fought, and they kept it close, and they even went to overtime. Now, NFL rules at that time was whoever, first, whoever scores first in overtime wins. And so the Bills, they dropped back to pass, and they threw it deep, and there was a wide-open receiver, and his name was Steve Johnson, and he was a very uh, well-known receiver at the time, maybe not as much these days. But back then, he was a big star receiver. The only problem is that even though he was open, he dropped the ball. The ball went straight through his hands, The Steelers got the ball back, and they marched down the field to score and win the game. So the Steelers won the game, and Steve Johnson was embarrassed in front of the entire nation. People sitting down to eat at night were catching the highlights. Oh, Steve Johnson dropped the game-winning pass. 
But not only were they seeing that, telecasters were showing his tweet after the game. He had tweeted uh, a response to what had happened. And what his tweet said was, God, how could you do this to me? God, I praise you 24-7 and you let this happen to me? What am I supposed to learn from this? How, what is the purpose for this in my life? So Steve Johnson blamed God for him losing, for his team losing, for him dropping the ball. And as much as I sympathize with Steve Johnson, that's got to be hard to have that happen to you and go through that. But what happened to Steve Johnson and his reaction to it is actually very similar to our reaction to a lot of things in life. Because at first it's kind of easy to turn up your nose at Steve Johnson and say, oh, how could you say that? And of course, he shouldn't have said that. It wasn't the right reaction. But we do that all the time, don't we? We say, God, I deserve this. But this happened. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you let this happened to me. Don't I praise you all the time? Don't I worship you? Didn't I claim you as my God? So why are you letting bad things happen to me? Now, when this happens, of course, sometimes it's natural to not understand why certain things happen. And in that case, I'm not sure there was a reason at all. He just dropped a pass. But in that specific instance, it was interesting because I was looking at it thinking, whoa, this guy is living a dream. He's an NFL player. He's a star receiver making tons and tons of money that a lot of people could only dream of having. And yet his mind is not over there. His mind is on this drop pass, which of course was bad and it was a sad situation. But rather than looking at all that he had to be grateful for, his mind was stuck on this dropped pass that could happen to anybody. But his problem was he felt entitled. I worship God, therefore I am entitled to catch the ball. I am entitled to win the game. I am entitled to be the star. We made a deal, God, didn't we? If, if I'm a believer, if, if I follow you then, then you, then you owe me something, right? You owe me to catch that pass. And a lot of times we have the same problem. I'm entitled to get, you know, when things don't go your way, we say, uh, that doesn't happen to me. That happens to other people. I'm entitled for only good things to happen to me. Now, the danger of this is that if we live in this mindset, we miss out on gratitude. And that's the heart of what we're talking about today is gratitude. But I like one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Richard Rohr. Now, Richard Rohr, he said this uh, in his book, Breathing Underwater. He said, if you are not radically grateful, if you are not radically grateful every day, resentment will always take over. You know, if you don't take the time to practice gratitude, you'll always find something to be resentful about. And in this case, Steve Johnson was resentful towards God. But rather than focusing on our resentments, it helps to be radically grateful every day, to, to marinate on, to think about what we're grateful for. Gratitude is so important. We think, 
Oh, have an attitude of gratitude. And, and sure, it's good to have that attitude, but we have to practice gratitude. You know, I can feel thankful that you made me dinner, but I'm practicing gratitude when I say, thank you for making dinner for me. You know, we, it's important that we practice gratitude. It's good for our lives. Uh, Brene Brown, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's a researcher. And specifically, she's a shame researcher. And so a lot of the, the re research she does is on people uh, and how they experience shame. And the people that don't necessarily live by shame, who don't live uh, as if they're unworthy to be alive, uh, but as if they are worthy to be alive, living wholehearted lives, she calls it. These are wholehearted people. They don't live based on shame, even though everybody has shame. But she talks about how, and I'll read the quote. She says, without exception, every person I interviewed who described living a joyful life or who described themselves as joyful actively practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. So we see that resentment is harmful. Gratitude is helpful. And of course we're going to have resentment in life. And of course we're going to have gratitude in life. But we have to see them for what they are to see the value of gratitude. Because gratitude sounds nice, but it's not just a feeling. It's an actual choice that we make. I mean, sure, you can be thankful for your parents generally, but if you take time to say, wow, I'm going to think about all that they've done for me, how much they love me, and how much they care about me, then you're actually going to be more grateful for them. So practicing gratitude is highly important, not just feeling grateful, but practicing gratitude. So if, if practicing gratitude is so important, well, what does Jesus have to say about gratitude? And we're going to look at that in our passage for today. Now, these passages that we're going to read together, it's kind of a long passage. And when we read it, you might say, okay, what do these seemingly unrelated passages have to do with each other? But we're going to look more closely at that and see how they actually tie in together. Now, our passage today is Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 19. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, 
Have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now before this week, uh, I wouldn't have really seen these two passages that we read as really being related to each other, other than the fact that they're back to back, other than the fact that they're both in chapter 17. But when we look at Jesus' response to the apostles, and we look at Jesus' response to these ten lepers, we can see a lot about what Jesus taught us about gratitude. The first thing we see relates more to the first passage, verses uh, Five, or verses uh, 5 through 10. So the first thing we see is that the goal of faith, so it's good to have faith, but the goal of faith is gratitude. Now how is the goal of faith gratitude? What did the disciples ask for? Or what did, ask is not even the right word. What did the disciples demand? Lord, give us more faith. Give us more faith, Lord. And it doesn't, we can't tell what tone they're saying that in, but it, you kind of get some sense that they're entitled to this. Lord, we're your disciples, we're Israelites, we're the people of God, give us more faith. Jesus doesn't say, wow, that is such a good thing to ask for. You know, it's good that they want more faith, but Jesus says, you don't need more faith. What does he say? He says, if you had faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, do we have any record of any disciple telling a mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea? No. So maybe Jesus wasn't saying, hey, go and do this. No, maybe Jesus was giving them a story. Maybe Jesus was telling a story to present an idea to them. And what does this story say? He said, if you had faith the side of a mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed, you could tell this big mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea. Now, does the size of the faith matter according to Jesus? No, you can have a little tiny mustard seed faith. You can have a big sized faith. But it's not about the size of the faith. It's about the size of what you have faith in. Look at the size of what they have faith in. Telling a, a mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea, that is something big to have faith in. It doesn't matter how big your faith is as long as what their faith is in is big. And so from that we get the expression, small faith, great God. That doesn't mean big faith is bad or small faith is bad. It just means 
if you're looking at this mulberry tree, and if you're looking at it through a tiny little window, or if you're looking at it through a big window, the size of the window is not what matters. What matters is the tree that you're looking at. And so Jesus says, you say you're entitled to more faith. You ask for more faith. But it's not about having more faith. It's not about having some sort of superpower. It's not about God strengthening you and saying, oh, you have the power of more faith. No, the power is in the object of our faith. Their faith should be in saying, be planted, mulberry tree, in this seed. That's a big thing to have faith in. A mustard seed is small. But Jesus is saying, you don't need to have more faith. You just have to have changed what your faith is in. And so he's not saying faith is not important, but he, do you see he's challenging, challenging them on how to use their faith? Their faith is more about, Jesus, I want to be next in line. Jesus, when you sit in your throne at your kingdom, I want you to say, he has more faith. He sits next to me. Oh, this disciple has the most faith. He's the most impressive. But Jesus is saying, your faith is not about stuff like that. Your faith is about me. Your faith is about knowing me more, trusting in me, believing in me. If your faith is about how good you are at faith, then you're just going to be worn out by faith. Now, if your faith is about what I can do, if your faith is about depending on me, well, that is going to change how you use your faith. And so we don't see a lot about gratitude in this passage, but then we go over to the story of the ten lepers. And all ten of them have faith. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It takes faith for them to ask Jesus to heal them. And it's clear that they all have faith, but who has the greatest faith? Which one of those ten lepers has the most faith? Well, that's the one that's going to get healed, right? Well, no. All ten of them are going to be healed because their faith is not, it doesn't matter how big their faith is, this one had 10% faith, this one had 20% faith. No, that's not what mattered. The matter is they had faith in Jesus. The object of their faith was what mattered. But without that, there would be no reason for gratitude. I mean, we're going to see that one leper turned around and went to thank Jesus, but unless he had faith in what Jesus could do, unless he believed in what Jesus could do, he would have no reason to be grateful because he would still be in the position that he was in. So you might say, it doesn't take faith to have gratitude. I've got my dinner right in front of me. I don't need faith. But it took faith to go out and get your dinner. It took faith to go out and seek it. And it takes faith for them to go out and look for the thing that they will later be grateful for. So faith is good, but the goal of faith is gratefulness. It's gratefulness on our part. Faith isn't just, we don't have faith just to believe in something, but to be grateful for it. And we're going to see that a little bit more with this one leper that returns. But the second thing we see about gratitude you know, faith can lead to gratitude. But once we have gratitude, gratitude needs humility. Humility is so essential for gratitude. So if you notice, Luke points out that this one leper who returned was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. And Jesus even points out, did everybody not come back except this one foreigner? 
Now, they're not demeaning this foreigner. They're not saying he's less than them because he's a foreigner. But if the other ones are Israelites, the people of God, and this foreigner is coming back who's not supposed to be part of the people of God, why would Jesus point that out? He's saying, you say, I'm entitled to what you do, Jesus, because we're part of the people of God. And if you're a messenger of God, then you owe us. You owe us to be cleansed of our leprosy. You owe us to give us more faith. But this Samaritan, this foreigner, comes and he says, I owe you. Thank you for what you've given me. He's humble. Now these others, while it's good that they have this promise through Abraham, while it's good uh, that they've made a covenant with God, they have faith, but they're using it the wrong way. They're using faith based on what can it do for me? What can faith do for me? But this one Samaritan that returns says, what can my faith do for God? What can my faith do for him? And so that's part of why the goal of faith is gratitude. But once you have faith, in order to be grateful, you have to humble yourself like this Samaritan leper did, as opposed to the other nine who are nowhere to be seen. Now, can we guess where they are? Well, who knows? It's likely that they actually went to the priest. That's where Jesus said to go, was to the priest. Now, if you look at Leviticus, when somebody has leprosy, they can go out before the priest, and if they're cleansed, then they come in, and there's a lot of instructions for how the priest is supposed to deal with them. And you spend multiple days, uh, more than eight days, actually, there in front of the priest. So maybe they're actually with the priest. Well, that gives them the pass if they're with the priest. But this book of Luke is written long after this event, it's clear from the passage that they never returned at all to thank Jesus. Well, of course they didn't because they were with the priest, but they weren't with the priest their whole life. But Jesus expects them to be grateful for what he's done for them. And the only one that is grateful is one who has humbled himself, not by saying, I'm one of the people of God, you owe me God, but one of the people that says, I'm an outsider and look what you did for me. I am grateful because of that. He humbled himself. It's interesting. When, when you look at verses 7 through 10, uh, this week when I was thinking about what to preach on, pretty much verses 11 and 19 were the only option. But when you look at verses 7 through 10, it's amazing when Jesus talks about unworthy servants, when I, when I read this passage, it looks like he's talking about how God views us. I'm the master and you are the servants. When you do what you're told to do, don't say I'm a worthy servant. But even if you do all you're supposed to do, say I'm an unworthy servant. I'm all, I've only done what I was expected to do. But here's the thing. Who else called himself a servant? Who else did the apostles call a servant? Who else did the apostle Paul specify as a servant? Jesus. Jesus identified as a servant. Does Jesus match up with verses 7 through 10? Well, let's look. Well, any one of you who has a servant plowing? Jesus said, the harvest is plenty. The workers are few. We can look at Jesus uh, plowing the fields in that sense, keeping sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus plowed. Jesus was a shepherd. 
And then he comes in. Will you tell anyone coming in from the field who was your servant, come and recline with me? Well, Jesus actually did that. He reclined with people, and the people who were entitled said, Jesus, get up. Stop reclining with those people. If, if you were who you said you were, you would not recline at table with these people. So they got on to Jesus for reclining at table, just like he said you would do to your servant, to the person who you viewed as below you and underneath you when you are entitled. And not only that, but he says, will you not say to him, prepare me supper? Well, didn't Jesus prepare us supper? He prepared us the Lord's meal, the Lord's supper. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. So Jesus prepared a supper. And not only that, but right before he did that, he dressed properly. He says, but go, change those dirty clothes and dress properly and serve me food. Well, that's what Jesus did. The Bible says that Jesus got down, he removed the garments he was wearing, he tied a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. Now that is what a servant does. A servant changes their clothes and they wash the guest or the master's feet. So if that doesn't scream at you that Jesus is acting as a servant, then, you know, I don't know what will. Jesus is saying, I'm doing the role of a servant. And he prepares a meal for them after, prepares Passover and shows what it really means. So we can look at this as Jesus just talking about a master and a servant, but we can also look to it as Jesus saying, I am the servant. Those are the similarities, but this is the difference. Jesus says, when you do what you are expected to do, call yourself an unworthy servant. Not because you're not loved, not because you're not cared for, but you're simply unworthy. You're only doing what you were told to do. You didn't go above and beyond In our case, when it comes to obeying Jesus, we haven't even done what we are expected to do. Even if we did, we couldn't call ourselves worthy servants because there's only one worthy servant. And why is he worthy? Because he, the master, served. No master serves except Jesus, who is both master, like the leper said, and worthy servant. Now, it appears that these nine other lepers saw Jesus as master, saw him as servant, but by their gratitude, kind of showed that they saw him as unworthy servant. But this one leper who returned realized Jesus for who he is. This is the worthy servant. Jesus is master, but he also serves. And he doesn't just serve, he's the only worthy servant because he not only does what is expected of him, but he goes above and beyond by being the servant and the master at the same time. I think when we are entitled, like the nine were, we typically respond to what God does in our lives with resentment. God, you didn't do enough. God, don't recline at table with me. Go out and do more work in my life. But 
when we see God, when we see Jesus as the worthy servant, and us as unworthy servants, then we are able to have gratitude and practice gratitudes in our hearts because we're not entitled anymore. But we're unworthy servants who aren't entitled to anything but have been given so much. Even God's own son. What kind of unworthy servant could expect that? Well, we couldn't expect that because we're not worthy. And yet, it happened. It's what God gave to us. He came down as a master and served us. And so gratitude is great, but it needs humility. You have to humble yourself. You have to lose your entitlement. You have to die to yourself. And then you can truly be grateful for what God is doing, has done, and will do in your life. Now, it's interesting because we see these ten lepers and we say, well, I've never had leprosy, so I can't relate to these lepers at all. But it's interesting, you see a lot about leprosy in the Bible. Uh, Leprosy is related to uncleanness. That's why there's cleanness laws related to it. But what does the book of Isaiah say about us? Well, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. It says, we are all like one who is unclean. We are all like one who is a leper. And even our good deeds, even the good things we do, are like filthy rags. A leper takes their rags off and gives them to you. Uh, I don't think I want that. That's, That's what it compares our good deeds to. Jesus says, you who do your good deeds and say, yes, I'm awesome for it. No, it's still not worthy. It's still not worthy. It's still, all our good deeds are like filthy rags. You can never do enough to be cleansed or healed. There's only one that can clean you. There's only one that can heal you. And unless you see yourself as unclean, you can never be grateful for being clean, for being cleansed. If you say, if you sit there as a leper, as an unclean person, and say, I'm good, Jesus, I'm good, not only are you not going to be healed, but you won't have anything to be grateful for. Jesus wants to clean you. Jesus wants to help you just as he did for all ten of these lepers. And so it's not like you, you need more gratitude to be clean. You need faith to be clean. But all ten of these Lepers had faith, but only one of them showed gratitude. Only one of them showed gratitude. You know, faith is not the end of the story. Faith is the beginning of the story. And like we talked about earlier, a life without gratitude, why do we have faith then? It's great to have faith, but unless it's for gratitude, unless it's, what did Jesus say? He said, Did only, didn't only one person return? And he didn't say not just to thank me, but did not, didn't I, didn't I heal ten? Where are the nine? Was only one person found to glorify God? We are forgiven. We are healed. We are cleansed for God to be grateful for that. And out of that can come a life of obedience and trust. You know, 
I'm sure the other nine lepers went on to experience other hardships in their life, but one of them had Jesus as a constant in his life. One of them could always have gratitude towards Jesus rather than the other ones constantly expecting God to owe them more and more and more. One said, God, you've given me all I need. You've cleansed me. you restored me. I know things will still be hard going forward, but I can live through all of it with gratitude, with gratefulness. You know, because Jesus, because Jesus was the worthy servant, he can save us in a way that nobody else could. All of us are lepers, but there's only one who can cleanse us, and that is the worthy servant. Because Jesus is the worthy servant, because of who he is, we can have faith in what he did on the cross to cleanse us from our uncleanness, to cleanse us from our iniquities, to cleanse us. We can't see it. Now, a leper can see what's on them, but if we knew how disgusting our iniquities and sin were, we would be like the leper crying out for help. After all the pain that it's led us to, after all the pain it's put us through, after all the separation it's put us to, don't you notice? Don't you notice that the lepers are standing far off? They're standing far off from Jesus? Look how close that one leper who came back was cleansed. He wasn't far off anymore. He was very close. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Do you see how close he was able to come to Jesus when Jesus cleansed him? How grateful do you think he was for that? And how grateful should we be as people who are cleansed? We don't have to stand far off anymore, but can stand, fall on our face, shout with praise to Jesus for what he's done for us. But... If Jesus was just the master telling us what to do, that would never happen. But because Jesus made himself a servant, and not only that, but the worthy servant, we can go to Jesus, and we can have closeness to Jesus. And because Jesus is the worthy servant, we can sit and recline with him at table. Jesus can take us, even though we are unworthy servants who don't deserve to go and sit with their master at the table. Jesus says, I'm the worthy servant and I'm taking you to my father's table. Sit, recline, eat with me. Wow, we have a lot to be grateful for because of what Jesus has done for us. Knowing Jesus is master is good. It, it changes your head. It, it sure did change the mind of the ten lepers. They had faith. But knowing that Jesus is the worthy servant, that changes your heart. Knowing that Jesus is master, it's, it's good to know that, but when you realize what he did for you, what he went through for you on the cross, that can make you grateful in your heart. And when God isn't just someone uh, to obey as a master, when he isn't just another religion to pick one, to pick from, but when he is an actual person who took on flesh and blood, who laid his life down for you, his sheep, then you won't just say, oh yeah, my faith helped me in the past, but you'll come back and say, no, faith is something I'm grateful for every day. And I may not have the most faith, it may be the size of a mustard seed, but I know what my faith is in. My faith is in the impossible God who does impossible things the impossible act of forgiving me and cleansing me, just as planting a mulberry tree in the lake is impossible. So God has done the impossible in my life. Just as it's impossible to heal 
the leper, so he has healed the leper. Just as it's impossible for us to be reconciled with God, so we have been reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so, so grateful for you, for who you are in our lives, that you've cleansed us. And God, we don't want to wander off and not say thank you, but we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Thank you. Over and over and over again, God. We don't deserve to have you serving us, loving us, giving yourself up for us, hearing our prayers, answering prayers, knowing us deeply, intimately. And yet you do, God. You're the worthy servant, God. We're not the master, and yet, even though you are the master, you still serve us and love us out of your great love for us. And so, God, we pray, just as we see in the book of Revelation, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.